Hey, welcome to River Point or West End Church, depending on where you're joining us from. We want to welcome all the folks here at Richmond, where I'm at. Uh, also at West End Church, where I get the privilege of being the campus pastor. West End, I'm so glad I didn't. Get, I'm so glad. Huh, I'm so sad. I promise. I'm so sad. Not glad. I'm so sad I didn't get to be there uh, with you guys this after uh, this morning, especially if you're there for the very first time. Uh, but hey, you're in good hands. Make sure you stop by and see Keaton. Keaton would love to get you a free coffee and hook you up if you fill out a welcome card. I also want to welcome our folks joining from Missouri City. Hey, if you're over there for the first time at Missouri City, make sure you get a chance to talk to your campus pastor over there, Chad Harold. I know Chad's got a thick neck and it can be intimidating, but uh, I promise he's got a gentle soul and he would love uh, to shake your hand and welcome you. And of course, um, last but not least, want to welcome all the folks that are joining us from the Ramsey unit. We're so glad uh, that you have joined and uh, we're glad you made it to church today. So we are in the series called Gotta Have Faith. It's the last week because we're kind of in this awkward place uh, after Thanksgiving, but before Christmas. Uh, but how was everybody's Thanksgiving? You guys have a good uh, Thanksgiving meal over there at West End, Missouri City. Uh, here's my question. My question is, have y'all declared war on Turkey yet? Okay, because I, I believe that it is time as a nation for us to turn the page on Turkey, okay? We have paid the Turkey homage for like 400 years now and we can move on, okay? Uh, we all know that Turkey is dry no matter what you do with it. Uh, invariably, every time I, I talk poorly about Turkey, there's always this one dude, right? The one dude who likes to smoke on the weekends, right? Uh, that guy always says, man, you're, you don't like turkey because you haven't had my turkey. You, you, you don't know about my recipe. First of all, it's not your recipe. You found it on Pinterest. You just won't tell anybody. And second of all, it's just a little bit not as dry as the last one, okay? So turkey, we, we, can, we can move on from turkey. I find it so funny because my, my mom immigrated uh, from El Salvador. She was born and raised in El Salvador and moved here to the United States about 40 years ago. And that woman will not let go of her turkey. It's like, that's her American card is the fact that she eats turkey once a year. And I'm like, mom, listen, you can let it go. I am as American as it gets, but I do not love this country that much, okay? I refuse to eat turkey. So uh, hopefully you had a good Thanksgiving meal and you had a ham or something uh, to compensate for the rest of it. But, uh, but we are talking about faith today. We're gonna turn a corner here. And, and faith is this amazing concept. You can't talk enough about faith. Uh, you've heard amazing speakers for the last four weeks. You heard Tanya last week, April Farmer, a couple weeks before that, and Patrick, of course. Uh, but I still feel like there's a little bit of meat left on this bone. So we're going to talk about what it looks like to have faith uh, under crazy uh, duress, under insane circumstances where it seems like there's no way out and it seems like the situation is hopeless. And if you were here last week or you followed along online, you know that Tanya spoke about Gideon and Gideon was this warrior in the Old Testament that God chose uh, from amongst the entire nation of Israel to go up against uh, this foe, these enemies known as the Midianites. But the thing about Gideon is how his story started out is he was a little bit of a coward. And when God first uh, shows up on the scene and calls him out, to do something on behalf of his country, Gideon is actually hiding. He's intimidated. And who we're going to read about today, the warrior that we're going to read about today, Jonathan, also in the Old Testament, Jonathan is kind of like the opposite of Gideon. So while Gideon was bashful, while Gideon was a reluctant leader, Jonathan is not. And it's kind of the same circumstance that the nation of Israel finds itself in once again, hundreds of years after Gideon. And what's happened now is that Israel finally has a king. It has its 
first king. And they're facing this opposition. They're facing this oppression from a nation of people called the Philistines. And the Philistines were big. They were bad. They outnumbered the Israelites. They outgunned the Israelites. And Jonathan here is in a really tough spot. And that's what we're going to read about. We're going to see what Jonathan does in the face of adversity. So join me here to the story. I'll kind of fill you in as we go along. There's a lot of details. And we're not going to read the whole text. We're kind of going to fast forward through some of the parts. But still, uh, I think that we'll get a lot out of it this morning. And this is what it says. It says that at that, Samuel got up and left Gilgal. That's kind of like an unnecessary detail, but it's part of the verse. So there you go. Read the whole chapter if you want to know what that's all about. But here's what it says. What army there was left, what army there was left, insinuating that there used to be more. Okay, what army was there, what army there was left followed Saul into battle, and they went into the hills from Gilgal towards Gebeah and Benjamin, and Saul looked over and assessed the soldiers still with him, a mere 600. Okay, so what the story tells us is that before we learn that Saul had 3,000 men with him, and now for some reason he only has 600. As we continue to read the story, this is what it says. It says, there wasn't a blacksmith to be found anywhere in Israel. The Philistines made sure of that, lest these Hebrews start making swords and spears. Okay, next verse. That meant that the Israelites had to go down among the Philistines to keep their farm tools, plowshares and mattocks, axes and sickles, sharp and in good repair. They charged a silver coin for the plowshares and mattocks and half that for the rest. So the blacksmiths were, 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 uh, were the folks who forged the weapons and the Philistines killed all the blacksmiths that were a part of Israel and they made all of the Israelites go get their farm equipment sharpened by their own people and then they taxed them on top of that. And then this is what it says. So when the battle of Michmash was joined, there wasn't a sword or spear to be found anywhere in Israel, except for Saul and his son, Jonathan. That's who we're talking about today, Jonathan. So Jonathan is the prince of Israel. And it says this, that both him and his father were both well-armed. We continue reading. It says this, later that day, Jonathan, we fast forward a little bit, but later that day, Jonathan, Saul's son, said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to the Philistine garrison patrol on the other side of the pass. But he didn't tell his father, Meanwhile, Saul was taking it easy. He was chilling. He was relaxing, watching football under the pomegranate tree at the threshing floor on the edge of town at Gebeah. Goes on to say this. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on now, let's go across to these uncircumcised pagans. Maybe God will work for us. There's no rule that says God can only deliver by using a big army. No one can stop God from saving when he sets his mind to it. Next verse, his armor bearer said, go ahead, do what you think is best. I'm with you all the way. Next verse, so they did it, the two of them. They stepped into the open where they could be seen by the Philistine garrison. And the Philistines shouted out, look at that. The Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. That's biblical smack talk right there. (laughs) Then they yelled down to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come on up here. We got a thing or two to show you. Love it. Jonathan shouted to his armor bearer, up, follow me. God has turned them over to Israel. And Jonathan scrambled up on all fours, his armor bearer right on his heels. And when the Philistines came running up to them, he knocked them flat, his armor bearer right behind, finishing them off, bashing their heads in with stones. And it says this, in this first bloody encounter, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed about 20 
men. This is an epic story. Okay, if you thought Braveheart was a good movie, this beats that. This is crazy. I have a question for you guys. This seems completely unrelated, but do any of you guys have a crazy friend? Okay, does anybody here have a crazy friend? Maybe they made it to your Thanksgiving dinner over there at West End. Do you have a crazy friend? Missouri City, do you have a crazy friend? The the kind of crazy friend that if you were to go to the club, which I know nobody here goes to the club, okay? I know nobody goes to the club. We're God's holy people here. But if you were to go to the club, this is the one person that you would leave out of the group chat. You know what I mean? It's like, you're not trying to go to the club with them because things always seem to go south. They always seem to find themselves uh, in trouble. So do you have a crazy friend? I know all of us here have a crazy friend, but I'm about to ask this other question. And um, I thought long and hard about whether or not I should ask this question, but here's the thing. Like, I don't know if you noticed this, but here at River Point Church and West End Church, we are so diverse. I mean, if you take a look at, this room looks like heaven, y'all. Like, there's people who look different than you, vote different than you. Some of y'all wore a suit to church. Some of y'all wore a Texas jersey to church. God help you. Um, I mean, we, we, are, we are different. We, eat, we all ate different stuff at Thanksgiving. Our traditions are different. We are so different. We are so diverse. And when you have a diverse group of friends, you can get away with saying some stuff. So with that being said, let me ask this follow-up question. How many of y'all have a crazy white friend? Anybody here? People of color, do y'all have a crazy white friend? Everybody here in the room, okay, people of color, minorities, you need a crazy white friend because crazy white friends go hard, okay? Down there at West End, I got a crazy white boy. His name's Keaton. He's actually hosting the service. And here's what I I know about Keaton is that if I am in a dark alley and I'm about to get jumped, I want Keaton to have my back because he is nuts, We need crazy white friends. I thought I had a lot of crazy white friends because I'm from Florida, okay? I take pride in the fact that Florida is the origin and the birthplace of crazy white people. Have you ever heard of Florida man? Does anybody here know about Florida man? Google it. We don't have the time to discuss Florida man. But then I moved to Texas, and now I feel like I got the most crazy white friends in the world. And here's why I say all of that. Some of you guys are like, whoa, you lost me there. But bringing it full circle, what we just read about This man named Jonathan, the reason I bring that up is because Jonathan is displaying some crazy white friend energy here because what he is doing is just, it's nuts. Let's just review the set of circumstances that Jonathan and his countrymen are in. This is the first thing. The first set of circumstances is this, that the Israeli army had dwindled down from a total of 3,000 soldiers to just 600 men. And the Philistines, this is what scripture tells us early on in that chapter that we didn't, we didn't get to cover, says that they had as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashores. So they were vastly outnumbered. Here's the second detail that I would like to review is that of the 600 that remained, they were hiding beneath a tree along with their king who also happened to be Jonathan's father. So Jonathan is in this situation where he's vastly outnumbered and his own dad, who's supposed to be leading the charge, is scared and intimidated and discouraged, rightfully so, right? They're, they're, they're up against it here and they're just hanging out under a tree. Here's the third detail that we need to review. And it's the fact that of the 600 that were hiding, none had actual weapons just farming equipment. This was an army of rednecks, y'all. All they had was pitchforks. They had pitchforks and weed whackers. King Saul and Jonathan were literally the only two warriors with real swords. 
And in the face of all these circumstances, in the face of all this adversity, despite the fact that there was literally no hope up against the Philistines, this is what Jonathan says. He says the following, says to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to the Philistine garrison. Says, come on, bro, let's go pick us a fight. Let's do this. Let's go. Let's go check things out. Let's go scope it out. Let's go see what they're up to. As I was reading this, sometimes these stories in the Bible are so far-fetched, so outlandish. It's like so beyond the scope of our imagination, so, so far beyond anything that you and I would ever actually experience in life that it's hard to relate sometimes. So I kept thinking about it, man, what can I get from this? How can, how can this land home with me in my own life? And what I can't help but to notice is the faith that Jonathan has. And the kind of faith that Jonathan has is the kind of faith that he is more than willing to get himself into trouble. He's more than willing to get himself in over his head. He's more than willing to go pick a fight with a giant, with someone that he has no chance against. And the question that I ask myself that I pose to you since you're here is, when was the last time you got yourself into some good trouble? Emphasis on good. But when was the last time you got yourself into good trouble? Again, I can't even relate to what Jonathan and his armor bearer were up against. I can't relate to that situation. But really what's at hand here is, when was the last time that you or I woke up one morning, realized that we had a crazy set of circumstances that were set out against us, and we looked at this challenge that seems insurmountable, and we've thought through all the logical solutions, and we've asked all the wise people, and we've done all the research. We read every Reddit thread. And we still come up empty and we're like, wow, I, I really don't, I can't, there's nothing that can help me win this battle. And yet, when you get to the point where you realize that all hope is lost, you just shrug your shoulders and you say, what do I have to lose? And you just do something. When was the last time you got yourself into some good trouble over a worthy cause? When was the last time you picked a fight that you had no chance of winning? Again, it's very hard to relate here when, when we're talking in terms uh, of a guy, of two guys going up against an army of thousands. But, but I thought of this story that I literally just heard a couple weeks ago, and it was while uh, Patrick and I, our senior pastor, Patrick Kelly, uh, visited the nation of Cuba. And we went over there on a missions trip because we support over 100 Cuban pastors and missionaries with monthly support, with a salary that helps them put food on their table so that they can focus on doing what they do best, which is to be leaders in their community and of their churches. And we visit them twice a year so that we, che uh, we can check up on them. And this time around, we spent time with this guy named Juan, and he's a legendary pastor on the island of Cuba, and, and, and Juan was telling us a story, which I should first give you some context. In Cuba, everything belongs to the Cuban government. Did y'all know that? It's a communist nation, so every building, every, uh, every square foot of dirt, every cow, every goat, everything belongs to Cuba. When Fidel, got, uh, when Fidel won the revolution, he essentially said, mine, 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 okay? So you can't own personal property in Cuba. A church can't have private property in Cuba. 
If a group of, of, of Cubans got together and they exploded as a church and they had all the access to all the resources that they would need to build a permanent structure as a church in Cuba, they could not do it. That is illegal. So what the Cuban church does is they have a workaround for everything. And what they'll do is they'll meet in carports, they'll meet in apartments, they'll meet in open fields under a tree. I'm not exaggerating. This is how they get together. So with that being the context for the story, this pastor was telling us that 20 years ago when he was around my age, he took over this really small church that was meeting in an apartment building. And not even an apartment building, in an apartment. And the church began to grow and they outgrew the apartment. So their next best solution was to build a makeshift structure that was literally a hut. I'm not kidding. It was a hut. It had no walls. All it had was four wooden posts, one in each corner, obviously. And then as a roof, their roof, their makeshift roof was made of dried palm fronds. Literally, they take palm fronds, they dehydrate them, they dry them, and they overlap one palm frond over the other until it's thick. And that becomes the roof over the church's head. And under those circumstances, guess what happened? They continue to grow. They continue to thrive. At this point in time, he has two to 300 people gathering for church every Sunday under a hut. But right there and then, as they're, as they're rolling, as they're gaining all this momentum, as they're reaching all these people, Hurricane Dennis comes to town. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but Hurricane Dennis was a category four storm that barreled against Cuba. And in the days leading to uh, Dennis's landfall, this church got together and this pastor led the way and he said, if there was ever a time for us to pray, it is now because the odds of this hut surviving this storm are zero, none. So they got together and for 48 hours, they did nothing but pray and they prayed and they prayed. And what little faith they had, they put their trust and their confidence in God and, and the day after, the morning after the storm had left, the pastor woke up in the morning, he rushed over to the side of the hut and lo and behold, the hut was still left standing. That's amazing. So over the course of the next days, they had a giant party and they got together and they sang songs and they broke bread and, and they couldn't believe it. They were on this holy hangover because uh, uh, they had just uh, witnessed a miracle. Even if you're here and you're not a person of faith, you too can appreciate the fact that this is crazy that a hut would have survived when not, when not much else of the Cuban infrastructure survived. And then a couple of days after the storm had passed through and, and, and they're still kind of uh, riding this high of, of, of having gone to be a part of something so special, the pastor's wife approaches him and she says, hey, Juan, I think you should tear the hut down. And he said, pero que te pasa? Translation, are you high? What? what you, we prayed for this. This is a miracle. How am I supposed to tell the people who prayed for this, that we just survived a category four hurricane and now we're supposed to tear it down? And she said, yes. You wanna know why, Juan? Because when else will you have the excuse, the reason, the opportunity to build something better? She said, right now, 
while the Cuban authorities are worried about everything else on the island of Cuba and all, all the other recovery efforts, now is the time for you to tear it down because there's no way that they think, that they believe that this place has survived and now you have a chance to build something more permanent in its place. So we got a group of guys together in the middle of the night because, oh, by the way, once something goes up in Cuba, you can't tear it down without the Cuban authorities' permission. So this hut that was kind of illegal, that the Cuban government had looked the other way, now that they were tearing it down, that would have been illegal too. So they got together in the middle of the night when no one was watching, and the guy tells, his, uh, the guy tells other men in the church, he said, hey, guys, we're about to tear this structure down. We're going to tear this hut down. And they looked at him, and they said, pero que te pasa? He said, yeah, I know it's crazy, but we're going to build something better. Let's take a risk. Let's get into some good trouble. So they tear that hut down. And little by little, over the course of three to four weeks, they lay down a slab and they start pooling resources together to get every cement block that they can afford. And they start laying one cement block over the other. And a month later, they had the standing structure, the sturdy structure. It was permanent. And all they were missing was a roof. And at this point in time, the Cuban authorities finally had an opportunity to make their way around. And when they show up on site and they see that this guy has built a building they look at him and they say Juan pero que te pasa and Juan without skipping a beat with a big smile on his face looks back at the Cuban officials and he says oh now you show up to help and that church is still there till this day 20 years later it's still standing Patrick and I got to attend a service there and we saw 500, a church of 500 Cubans, which is the equivalent of a mega church on that island where atheism and Catholicism are, 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 the, are, are the kind of the national religions. This evangelical church somehow against all odds has managed to survive. And he managed not to get thrown in prison. This is it. This is the church. Look how beautiful that church is. Look at those tiles. Look at that metal roof. It's crazy. And man, I'm challenged by that. What was the lie? I couldn't even, I couldn't try to get myself into that kind of trouble even if I tried in the United States of America where we do church and post about it on Instagram. It's crazy. But the point is not to go out there and, and do something insane like build a building against the Cuban government or to, to, to go with a buddy and take on thousands of troops against all odds. That isn't the point here for you and I. The point is when the opportunity presents itself, if the opportunity presents itself to get into some trouble, to pick a fight with no chance of winning over a worthy cause, would you be game? Would you be down? Would you do it? And if I'm being honest, more often than not, I, I'm not, I'm out. So let's simplify it. What, what, let's talk about this. What, what does it look like about just trying to build a friendship or build a relationship with your mean, cranky neighbor? What does that look like? I don't know about you, but I'm scared of rejection. My wife and I have a, I have a mean, old, cranky neighbor, and it would be so intimidating for me to knock on their door with some cookies and say, hey, I know that you and I haven't gone off on the right foot, but I just want you to know my name is Abe, and if you ever need something, I'm here for you. I'm petrified by that. I don't want to do that, but what does that look like? What does it look like to put yourself out there and do something that you don't think would actually work or do something that you don't want to do? for a worthy cause. 
What, 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 what does it look like, fellas, guys? What would it look like if you just proposed? You've been dating her for five years. <laughs> My goodness. Just do something. There's literally nothing else left for you to learn about her. <laughs> Marriage is the best kind of trouble a guy could get into. Just do something, man. What would it look like? What would it look like if, uh, I, don't, I don't know, it's, I, I don't know enough about what's going on in your life, but we all have something, something that we've been putting on the back burner, something that we've talked ourselves out of for a long time. What would it look like if we were just more willing to get ourselves into some good trouble I want to point out something else that fascinates me about this story and about Jonathan's character. Jonathan looks at his armor bearer, and this is what he says. He says, come on now, let's go across to these uncircumcised pagans. Maybe, everyone say maybe. Maybe, maybe God will work for us. Maybe. This is what I call 50-50 faith. See, some of us think that faith, what faith looks like is just this 100% confidence that God is gonna, God's gonna do something and it's all gonna end up going in your favor. We think that that's what faith looks like. And many of us have chosen not to opt into a relationship with God because we look at these people in our lives who have this blind faith and we're like, what? How does that work? And you know what the story reminds me of? The story reminds me that more often than not, having faith in difficult circumstances is a 50-50 proposition that your odds of coming out on top when you put your faith in God sometimes are as favorable as that of a coin toss. Sometimes that's what faith looks like. It looks like moving on a maybe. Think about that as a halftime locker room speech. <laughs> Jonathan looking at his armor bearer saying, hey bro, I got an idea. Let's go pick a fight with these guys. It's just two of us. I know all you have is a sickle. I know all you've got is a pitchfork. I've got a sword. Let's go pick a fight with those guys. And maybe God does something. Or maybe we die. <laughs> what? That's crazy. You want to know one of the biggest lies we could ever believe is? And this is a lie that I fall into all the time. There's this lie that says, oh my gosh, God God, if you would just tell me what you want me to do, I would do it. God, if only you spoke to me. That's a lie. You're lying to yourself. You wanna know why? Because for every one situation that you find yourself in that you wish God would speak to you audibly because you literally don't know what to do, there's another hundred situations where God has told you exactly what to do and you still won't do it. <laughs> he wrote it down and we still don't do it. So let's quit waiting around for God to speak to us or hoping and praying and wishing that he would. The crazy thing about Jonathan is God did not speak to Jonathan. Last week, y'all read about Gideon. God showed up, the angel of the Lord showed up and spoke to Gideon. The angel of the Lord did not show up to Jonathan. This is Jonathan just moving on a maybe. This is Jonathan realizing we've got nothing to lose and if we don't do something, that would be the true loss. That would be the true defeat. So here's the thing, I am, 
a hesitant person. I'm an indecisive person. I'm the most avoidant person you will ever meet. I am what you consider to be a reluctant leader. And if you are like me, if you are a, a, a class A procrastinator, right? If you procrastinate everything, the encouragement here for us is do something. Just do something. Bust a move. <laughs> move on a maybe. There's some of you guys here that are, uh, that are in debt and you just keep hoping, God, if you would only show me how to pay off this debt, God, if you would just, oh, God, God, God. Can I give you a tip for starters? When the debt collector calls, pick up the phone. When they write a letter, open it. The only reason I am speaking like this to you is because that was me. I was under the impression that if I ignored and evaded debt collectors long enough, that poof, it would just all disappear. And when I got married, I was reminded that it didn't because my wife looked at me and she said, pero que te pasa? What's going on with this credit score, bro? That was our first bonding experience as a married couple. And I wish I had been more, ex I had, I had been more aggressive that I had just done something, do something. That's the encouragement here. 50-50 coin toss. Lord, I don't know if it'll work out. Things could blow up in my face. But what do I have to lose? Do something. Ask a couple of wise people in your life. Think about it. Pray about it for a day. And do something. Finally, this is the other crazy part of the story. It's the armor bear. Can I tell you all something? The armor bear is the real MVP of this story. Okay, this guy, look at what he does. His armor bear said, go ahead, do what you think is best. I am with you all the way. This guy just got invited into a battle of a lifetime, two against thousands charging uphill. Did y'all catch the part of the story where it said that Jonathan was crawling on all fours, climbing on all fours? Do you know what that means? He doesn't have a weapon in his hand. It's not like he's climbing and he's shooting arrows at the same time. This is the epitome of being vulnerable. He's climbing uphill on all fours, charging to his uncertain death. And this guy says, I'm with you all the way. You know what this is a reminder of? That if we have any shot of living a life of faith, that if we wanna be the kind of people that pick a fight that we have no chance of winning, but we move on a maybe anyways, if we wanna be the kind of people that get into good trouble, we need people to get into good trouble with. We cannot do it by ourselves. We need someone. And maybe even more importantly than that truth is the fact that you and I must aspire to be that kind of friend to someone else. It's easy to be the person that's like, come on, let's do something crazy, follow me. And it's another thing to be the guy with no weapon saying, I'm with you all the way. We need people and people need us. And what better place to find people than here? Who you choose to surround yourself with, who you choose to do life with is one of the most critical decisions that you will ever make. And my prayer for all of us is that we would find people who are worthy enough to ride or die with. That should be our prayer. Lord, put someone in my life that's worth riding and dying for. And we have to be judicious. We have to be picky. We have to be selective with who those people are. 
but Lord, help us find them. Can I give you a thought? Start with small groups here at River Point or West End Church. We're coming to an end of the small group season, but going into the new year, if you have not yet joined a small group or you haven't been a part of a small group in a long time, go check out these links because you need friends that are with you all the way if you're gonna live this kind of lifestyle, if you're gonna be the kind of person that goes against all odds and moves on a maybe. I'm kind of in this situation in life right now uh, um, at West End Church because, please don't laugh, this is a half-baked idea I've literally have thought about this for like 30 minutes so far. We've had very preliminary conversations, but we are thinking about starting a Spanish service at West End Church. And yeah, that's right, it's awesome. I have no clue how we're gonna go about that, but I already have a name, okay? I've got a name for it. I thought about it for a long time, prayed about it. It's funny, I don't know how I'm gonna pull it off, but I got a name, it's a little presumptuous of me, but uh, we're gonna call it West End and Español. I'm serious, it's that simple. And our hope is that we can reach some people, some Spanish speaking people or some people who prefer to worship in Spanish that we're not yet already reaching. And it's a crazy idea, but I sent this email out, just kind of like a shotgun email, let's see what happens. And you'd be shocked about how many people said, I don't know if this will work, but I'm with you, bro. Let's talk about it. I got white people who don't know Spanish trying to help me make it happen. What? That's crazy. We need people like that. We need people like that. One last thing on, on getting, getting yourself into good trouble. Maybe you're here and maybe the good trouble you need to get yourself into is saying yes to a relationship with Jesus. Across all campuses, Missouri City, Ramsey Unit, West End, here at Richmond, I know that there is someone who's been very cautious and thoughtful and, and you've really, really given this Christianity thing some consideration, this Jesus thing. You, you, you've really looked at all the possible ways it could go great, it could go wrong. And, and, and you still feel like you need more proof, like you need more answers. And can I encourage you that you will never have all the answers and you need to move on a maybe. And it is the one maybe decision that will always go your way will always go your way. Doesn't mean life will be perfect, but it does mean that hopefully one day you can live the kind of life where you pick fights that you have no business winning and you just shrug your shoulders and say, let's see what God does. Join me in this prayer. God, thank you so much for your word. God, again, it's so hard to relate to some of these stories. It's hard to relate to Juan's story over there in Cuba. It's hard to relate to Jonathan's story here in the Bible. But God, one thing I know is that we all have something in our lives that we've been procrastinating on. And if, if that's not already happening in our lives, it, it will soon come up because that's how life works. And I just pray that we would be the kind of people that move on a maybe, the kind of people that say yes to getting ourselves into good trouble. And Lord, I pray for all of those who have not yet initiated a relationship with you God, that they would be encouraged to take the next step and to say yes to you and it will be the single greatest decision of their life. And God, that they would learn and know that they could figure out the details along the way, that they don't have to have it all figured out, that they don't have to be perfect, 
but that you're with them every step of the way to help them figure it out. And God, we give you thanks because we know, we believe that even though we may not get every win, even though we may take some losses along the way, we know that we can trust that ultimately in the end, we will have victory. It's in your name we pray, amen.